You've tuned in to the Message to Kings podcast, where we tell the complete history. Welcome back to the Message to Kings podcast. This is your host, Brett Houston, episode 18, The Wilderness. After the dramatic Red Sea crossing and worship experience, the nation of Israel set out into the unknown desert towards Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. What comes next is a season of testing and revelation. This episode will cover the five events leading up to the encounter at Mount Sinai. The wilderness, which this season will be called, starts as a march across the desert to Mount Sinai and then to Canaan. But what begins as a short journey will end up lasting 40 years. The five events leading to Mount Sinai are clearly God's testing of the people, but in turn the people test God. There's a very big difference. God's testing exposes our character and faithfulness and builds us in our relationship with God. Man's testing can be a range of reactions from questioning to vocalized doubt to the full spectrum of open rebellion. We have to know our season and our time. In this season, God is targeting a nation and a generation. Moses' generation is now being prepared and tested. Do they have what it takes to be formed into God's chosen generation to take Abraham's promise? We will see a pattern all through the wilderness. Testing followed by miracles. Testing, miracles, testing, miracles. Each pattern is obviously intended to increase faith in God, for each trial is just a setup for another miracle. Each trial is just a setup for a miracle. Trials and testing expose the heart. What is in a person will always come out. No amount of self-control, no matter how hard a person tries to master his or her emotions, can totally hide what is in a person. What is in a person will eventually come out. What is in the Israelites will be coming out in the wilderness. I really believe what happens next is quite remarkable. So after one of the greatest scenes in human history, a nation nearly starves to death. I couldn't believe it. In this case, it was obviously God who allowed them to nearly starve to death. Here is the account. Oh yeah, before I continue, at the time of Exodus, there's a change of name for God's people. Prior to the book of Exodus, the people have many titles, and one of them is that they're called the Hebrews. This name is no longer used except in rare occasions going forward. From the book of Exodus on, they are referred to as the Israelites throughout the remainder of the Bible, until the common term of Jews surfaces much, much later. So they transitioned from a Hebrew family to the nation of Israel. Back to the near starvation of Israel. Here's the account. Exodus 15:22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. And that's why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it in the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in His eyes, if you pay attention to His commands and keep all His decrees, 
I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. All right, stop here. Moses performed a crazy miracle here by throwing wood into the water, which removed the bitterness of the waters. This is actually a miracle that Elisha will do something similar later. Um, and it says that they went three days without water, and God confessed to testing them. This is crazy that God would nearly kill them. Of course, God would not have allowed them to be tested to death, but to the point of death, yes. There is some symbolism here that God intended to kill them spiritually and make them new. Though the struggle would be for three days, the promise would be for generations that they earned after this. The promise that came forth was divine health and prosperity. Never, if they walked faithfully, will they experience the disorders and catastrophes of the Egyptians if they are faithful to God. This is the beginning of the next 1,000 years of Israel's history, and you can easily see it cause and effect. Faithfulness reward versus unfaithfulness judgment. It will be easy to track the course of the nation of Israel based upon their faithfulness to God. It's almost from this point the nation will be rewarded by God or allowed to be reduced by the devil. Let's camp here for a second. They went three days without water after the amazing miracles of the Exodus. They say you cannot go three minutes without air, three days without water, and three weeks without food. Now this is a very general statement. So God showed them total victory, annihilated the Egyptian army, and then almost starved the Israelites to death. It's really crazy. There was no feasting at the enemy's table with this victory. It's no wonder God promised to be their healer. Many of them had to be healed to recover from the near starvation. So here's my take on what's going on. Over the next one or two years, God will be going completely over the top to teach the Israelites what Moses already understood. He is purposely setting them up to understand that Father God was their protector, provider, and their identity was in the Lord. Moses understood it because he was raised as royalty. All the people did not because they were raised as slaves. Their provision and protection was their Egyptian guards who abused them. They believed their identity was slavery in courts. God will be putting the Israelites through a crash course, and if they can pass it, they would be allowed to walk into their inheritance. If they failed in this crash course in character and identity, they would have to send out a generation. When God provided water for them, he showed them that he was their healer, and provider, something most of them didn't understand very well. Next they moved to Elam, where there was 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. This must have been paradise to them. From here they ventured to a place called the Desert of Sin, traveling from place to place. In the Desert of Sin, they began to starve again. But what happens next is supernatural. But first the Israelites make their heart known with this statement. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. God's answer was to provide for them and reveal himself to them as well. He showed his wonders to the Egyptians. Now it was time for him to reveal himself to Israel. Remember how the Passover was the beginning of the revelation of the Passover lamb, Jesus? Well, here we go again. God is about to begin the revelation of the Lord's supper or communion with the next miracle. 
Exodus 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out here in this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather in the other days. This is what happens next. Exodus 16, 10. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the ground. In the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread of the Lord that has given you to eat. This will occur for 40 years as long as they wander in the desert. God will be supernaturally every single day providing for his people. Tack this onto the fact that they will be accompanied in the wilderness by a cloud of the Lord by day to keep them from heat stroke and hyper exhaustion. And by night there is a pillar of fire to keep them warm and give them light. Full provision by the Lord and protection from the elements. Here's the revelation again and again of protection and provision. The message is clear. The Lord is your provider and protector, not the Egyptians, yourself, or any other. Do not go back to your old way of life. The manna is very symbolic. About 1,500 years later, Jesus will be revealing the revelation of the manna during a heated discussion with the Pharisees. John 6:31 Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written he gave them bread from heaven to eat Jesus said to them very truly I tell you it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the whole world Jesus continues in John 6:46 no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Jesus is the bread of life from heaven. The manna was provided by God for their daily nourishment. In addition, it provided for them a form of spiritual nourishment as well. Call it God's form of communion in the Old Testament. It is truly fascinating that Jesus said he was the bread of heaven. So far, we've had the plagues, the Red Sea, bitter waters converted, manna and quail, God's presence through a cloud and fire. 
Now you would think it's about time the Israelites stop complaining and just start trusting God and get the point. But that's not the case. Next, they camped in Rephidah, but there was no water to drink. Then Israel quarreled with Moses and questioned him. Exodus 17. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Get out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this inside of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Marabah, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? We have to stop here. Israel was ready to stone Moses after all they had seen. Now it's easy to see what's going on here now. The hardship without water was very severe, so we can't discount that. But they had seen so much. I have to ask myself, was this generation blind? I mean, what's going on here? God wasn't going to allow any of them to die of lack of provision. And why would you stone Moses? So this is what it seems to be going on. Have you ever heard of the story of the man who spent his life in prison, and when he was released, he committed a crime because he preferred prison, because he couldn't manage life on the outside of the walls of the prison? This man suffered from institutional syndrome. Institutional syndrome is defined as a deficiency of social and life skills, which develop after a person has spent a long time period in mental hospitals or prisons. The Israelites had been slaves, abused and rejected by society, and their identity and value was stripped from them. Their identity was in their bondage and their slavery. In fact, they didn't understand who they were. It's like a criminal or a homeless person winning the lottery. It's just too much. This lottery is wasted on ignorant pursuits. So years later, this person who won the lottery would most likely be back into their original poverty. This generation almost lost their identity in Egypt. And whenever anything went wrong, they grumbled and complained. And they were even ready to stone Moses. They failed to learn to cry out to God. Instead, horrible things came out. Character was lacking. God was giving them a crash course and wanted a a good piece of clay to work with, but it wasn't bending. They desired to be slaves again, just like a dog that returns to his own vomit. Israel so far has failed to learn to be sons and daughters of God. We discussed this concept with Moses in the wilderness. A son who knows his father never questions who he is. He knows his identity because his father instills it in him. God is trying to break through with his people. God was searching for a generation. Is this the generation to walk in the promise of Abraham? It's not looking like it so far. God is going to give them an invitation at Sinai, but will they answer Next, God reveals his protection to them again, this time through war, and we see the emergence of Joshua, the military leader. Exodus 17, 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. 
Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, Because my hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. The Amalekites will appear and reappear through Israel's history. Each time I will try to bring back up this prophecy. Saul will attack them and leave a remnant. David will attack them, and they will reappear in a form of a long-lost descendant at the time of Esther in Persia. As far as God is concerned, from this time forward they are marked for destruction, just like the Amorites and later the Philistines and other nations. Prior to marching to Sinai, Moses administers justice to the people with his wisdom. This was obviously not working very well because his father-in-law shows up and tells him what he's doing wrong by failing to delegate. Moses agrees in humility and appoints other judges to help and numbers the people in groups better. What is important here is that it points out the need for a judicial system for the people. The nation was too huge for one man to administrate. Most likely, Moses prayed for help to manage this people, and God will answer his prayer when he goes up to Mount Sinai and receives the Ten Commandments, followed by all of the laws to govern the people. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, I'd like to say that life is not easy all the time. I was talking with a pastor recently, and he was struggling with a breakthrough in a certain area. He said, sometimes we don't know if it is the enemy or God preventing us from achieving our breakthrough. This is a fascinating concept that we discover in the wilderness. If it is the enemy, then we break through in prayer. If it is God, we must listen earnestly to God. What is he saying and what is the message? In the case of the Israelites in the wilderness, he was rebuilding their foundation on him. Foundations can only be moved by humility and strong convictions and faithfulness to change. We will see the effects in the next episode of a nation that fails to listen and follow God's leading. About 1,500 years later, John the Baptist will be preaching on the shores of the Jordan. His message will be, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent doesn't necessarily mean repent of sin. The actual word means to turn 180 degrees. It is the direction of the heart. This is what is going on with the Israelites. It means to turn away from the things that hinder a person and turn 180 degrees in the direction of God. God is proving himself time and time again, but their hearts are still in Egypt. God is crying out to them to repent and turn towards God's open arms. Part of the Christian walk is repentance. We turn from a controlling, sinful nature and walk towards God. By turning to God, we walk away from evil, 
and God strengthens us to say no to the old way of life. Whenever a person stumbles and conviction is there, repentance is the answer, and God is always there with open arms. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Message to Kings. Stay tuned next week as we discuss the outrageous encounter at Mount Sinai and the longest fast in human history. Feel free to visit the Facebook page and leave a comment or question, or if you want to chat or talk, email me at messagetokings at gmail.com. Tune in next week to the Message to Kings podcast.